Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. So we are here to talk about one of the most infamous crimes of the 20th century, It is often called the most famous unsolved murder case in American history and has been a pop culture fixture, inspiring numerous books, TV shows, and movies, including Clint Eastwood's Dirty Harry. It has also inspired lots of action in the amateur sleuth community, as well as an infinite number of Reddit threads and message board posts. Yes, I am talking about the Zodiac Killer. We have a special guest with us today from the Soundtracker podcast. Eric Peacock. Hey, Eric. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm seriously like, I'm so excited to do this. And, you know, you talking about the amateur sleuth thing when I was, because I'm a, I'm a note person, you know, so I was putting notes together and it is like daunting almost just how many you could literally <laughs> spend like three weeks and find like scouring websites with various you know, theories and, and it's, it is, and it's a very catty community is something that I've learned about this. Oh yeah. It is catty. <laughs> no, I almost had a nervous breakdown today finishing this. I mean, luckily we're doing a part two. Yeah. So I could just but, put some stuff off because it's like a rabbit hole of rabbit holes. Like, yeah. Um, first of all, I wanted to thank you, Eric, for your patience and understanding regarding our scheduling kerfuffles this month has been crazy. And we really appreciate that. I also wanted to mention that this is a crossover episode. Not only are we doing a two-part series on the Zodiac Killer, we are also on Soundtracker. Is that dropping um, Friday, right? Yeah. So the same day as this one, where we discuss um, the David Fincher movie Zodiac and the soundtrack to that movie. We so, had fun. That was a, yeah. That was a great episode. We will put a link to that in our show notes. Is that what they're called? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, also, I wanted to apologize up front for on the soundtrack uh, episode. I say Buffalo Springsteen instead of Buffalo Springfield, and it has literally haunted me every day. <laughs> I forgot about it. Actually, I think about it so many times because when I did it, it was so stupid because I knew it was wrong, but I kept going. Do you know what I mean? I was really tired, and I I just keep thinking about that. Oh, so I mean, people know I'm a dumb bitch. So <laughs> I feel like. That- Hold off on those emails, guys. <laughs> I do correct myself in the episode, but I also wanted to give a special shout out uh, in this one. Anyway, so the Zodiac murdered five uh, confirmed victims in the San Francisco Bay Area between December 1968 and October 1969. Uh, but as these killers are wont to do, has claimed to have murdered 37 victims. Uh, and he has been linked to several other cold cases as well. He gets the name Zodiac from himself. He chose that moniker, which is honestly a pretty good one, I have to say. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Desi and I have talked about serial killers who choose their own nicknames, specifically the BTK killer. Well, they have some similarities. 
They do have some similarities in terms. You could tell the BTK killer was like trying to rip off some Zodiac stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he's very press hungry and gets mad when the press don't take him seriously. And, and Zodiac does that too. And he was adamant, like, this is my nickname. And yes. I and I have a little um like like symbol. Did he have a symbol? He had like a way he wrote his name. Yeah. I, I don't remember the symbol, but I, I just might not know. Um, but I do think the Zodiac name kind of lended, lended itself to this lore about him with the cryptograms, obviously. Um, it just makes it seem like more like, ooh, that was on the winter solstice. All the murders are by water. Like there's all these things people sort of bring a Zodiac or astrological element to, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, so he really put the city and the the Bay Area, I guess, um, on edge during this period. He ceases writing communications around 1974. And just the unusual nature of the case led to this international interest that has been going on since that time. Like it's never died down and there's always new things popping up. So another interesting aspect to this case is that it kind of predates the rise of the serial killer that really happens in 70s. Obviously, there were serial killers before this time, like H.H. Holmes, Jack the Ripper. But uh, it kind of this is why investigators aren't immediately jumping right to, oh, we have a serial killer on our hands. Um, well, the term serial killer had yet to be invented. Right. But even the concept of it wasn't really like they didn't necessarily jump to that right away. They're always trying to find reasons uh, why a murder happened rather than just, oh, he's a thrill killer or um, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's doing it for, you know, some compulsion or something like that. Um, so my main source for this is the book. That's the source for the movie, Zodiac. It is by um, Robert Graysmith, who was a cartoonist at the San Francisco, I'm sorry, San Francisco Chronicle during this period. He is played by Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie. And I do want to say up front that although this book is often thought of as the definitive book on the case, it's definitely colored by Grace Smith's own beliefs. People have accused him of cherry picking info, ignoring other facts in order to push his theory that the killer was the only suspect really uh, ever looked into deeply by the authorities. That's Arthur Lee Allen. Um, so, and a lot of information is inaccurate in his book now because he wrote it. What is that book from 80s, late 80s? Or was it earlier no it's late 80s right Mm -hmm. um a lot of things have changed or more information has come out and it's not like he can switch the the information in the book easily so i also used a website devoted to the case it is by tom voigt he runs this website it's called zodiackiller.com he got the uh he got that he got the you he got that url (laughs) right at right at the height of the right when the internet started apparently yeah um because it's not even like an org or like any other weird a net (laughs) yes ca like like there's a few um so there's a lot of information on this it's a very active message board and it's often considered to be like the place to get it all right so, like I said, this first episode is largely going to be laying out the facts of the case. In episode two, we will get to all of the theories, even the most wild ones. Um, we'll get into the suspects and we'll obviously solve the case once and for all. You Us? guys are, you guys are on board, right? Me and, er- <laughs> me and Eric yeah. are going to solve this. Yeah. Well, me too. <laughs> and Desi. <laughs> 
Well, my plan is to actually propose because like some of the people that I've gone through, it almost seems like some of the ones that I've seen almost seem like it's like a personal grudge. Like my old boss was a jerk. I think they were the Zodiac, like almost like uh, a witch hunt sort of thing. So like, that's my plan. I have this boss at Outback that I'm going to like posit. Yeah. Well, there's a surprising number of people who have thought their dad was the Zodiac. (laughs) People mad at their dads. Yeah. Like there's at least two or three really big ones that are like, that's my dad. We'll get into that next week (laughs) for sure. But yeah, there's definitely something going on there. Okay. Let's get into it. On December 20th, 1968, David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen were going out on a first date. They went to see a Christmas concert at Hogan High School and then went to a local restaurant before driving out to Lake Herman Road outside the city limits of Benicia. 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 Is that how you say it? Yeah. So this is like, uh, is it North Bay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's North Bay. Is that what it's called? It's called Benicia. Oh, the North Bay. No, is that called the North Bay area? Because it's it's kind of connected to like the Richmond, like it's above Richmond, right? I just didn't know if it was called North Bay. It doesn't really matter. It is up above San Francisco, though, but east. So David pulled his mom's rambler into the popular necking spot, a.k.a. Lover's Lane, at around 10.15 that night. It's speculated that around 11 p.m., another car pulled into the turnout and parked um, beside the couple. The killer exited his car, walked to the rambler, and possibly ordered the couple out of it. Faraday is halfway out of the car. The killer shoots him in the head with a 38. And then the killer shoots um, Betty Lou five times in the back as she is apparently fleeing. Her body is found 28 feet from the car. Shortly after 11 p.m., their bodies are found by Stella Borges, who lived nearby. The Solano County Sheriff's Department investigates the crime as they usually did. They um, see if the teens had any enemies. They talk to local career criminals. But there's no apparent motive for the crime. There's no robbery. There's no sexual assault. As I mentioned earlier, people aren't thinking, oh, this is a thrill killer or something like that. They're looking for a reason. Um, But no leads develop and the case just kind of goes nowhere. Just six and a half months later, shortly before midnight on July 4th, 1969, Darlene Farron and Michael Majo drove into the Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo about four miles from the first murder site. Once again, this is another lover's lane situation. While the couple are sitting in darkness, a second car drives into the lot and parks alongside them, but almost immediately drives away. The car returns about 10 minutes later, and this car parks behind them this time. The driver of the car exits and approaches the passenger passenger side door of Darlene's car. They are carrying a flashlight and a 9mm Luger. The killer directs the flashlight into Majot and Farron's eyes before shooting at them, firing five times. Both victims are hit and several bullets pass through Majot into Farron. The killer walks away from the car but returns when he hears Majot moaning. I listened to an interview with Majot. And he's like, I don't remember if I yelled at him or involuntarily moaned because I was in pain. Right. And he was just like, it was interesting to hear his um, recap, like his like version of what happened. That's so um, scary. Yeah. So he comes back and he shoots each of them twice more before driving off. Uh, the Majo in his interview described the gunshots as being muffled. And he describes the demeanor of the killer or the shooter as just being really casual just walking back and forth, like with just nothing, like no talking, nothing. 
About 40 minutes later at 12.40 a.m., a man phones the Vallejo Police Department to report and claim responsibility for the attack. He also takes credit for the murders of Betty Lou Jensen and, and David Faraday. Police trace the call to a phone booth at a gas station that's just a few blocks from the Vallejo Police Department. Theron is pronounced dead at the hospital and Majot survives the attack, which is how we know how it exactly went down because he remembered everything. He gives a description in the hospital after his attack. Uh, he also describes the shooter to them. He said it's a he's basically like the average white guy, right? He's white male, short brown hair, 195 pounds, 26 to 30 years old about five foot eight to five foot 10 inches. The one distinguishing feature feature he mentions is that he has a large face, a large face. Yeah. Like I have no idea. Like as opposed to a Charlie Kirk, small face. Yeah. Well, Carly, Charlie Kirk has a large face, small features. They're like all in right. the center, right? right? It's all in the center of his face, but I think of it as a small face. Cause it's like, yes, the face part is yeah. all together in the middle. He's like a Dick Tracy villain is what he looks like. Totally. He totally does. So unlike David and Betty Lou, they have they have some possibilities here of who the suspect might be. Now, Darlene was considered to be a very popular local waitress. She is married at the time, but she kind of hangs out a lot with the local um, people who show up at the restaurant. She has a lot of guys interested in her. She likes to have fun. Uh, There are two men in particular that pique the interest of investigators. Um, Their names are George and Gordon. She's had some problems with them in the past. In fact, George, she was uh, told people she was deathly afraid of him. She said at some point that he had threatened to rape her, but they interview him and he's like, I was just teasing. I was just joking. Classic. That's not a joke. (laughs) I was just just joking, but he gets ruled out because he, he, he's completely ruled out. Gordon, also has a story about Darlene. He's like, she was going to leave her husband for me. She's claimed to be pregnant. Um, all of this kind of stuff. And he's also ruled out. So people make a little, a big deal about this secret life of hers, but it really doesn't amount to anything. And it's not connected to the case at all. And there's, there's no proof that she ever had an affair with anyone outside of her marriage. So, you know, it's just classic kind of slut shamey stuff. Right. For sure. Now, Majot also said that he did have a crush on her, but it wasn't reciprocated. So that's even that doesn't prove anything. Um, and they, they even people, there are some people on the message boards that think he was involved. That Come he, on. he somehow really? knew the attack was going to happen. <laughs> and that, yeah, they were, they even speculate, like, why did he wear so many layers? I was like, well, it's cold. Like, <laughs> that's that's a theory I didn't see at all while I was going through all this. So that is a wild one. That yeah. I've never heard of that. I mean, that's something that that's a theory that is something that only happens on criminal minds. <laughs> right, like, their theory is he wore layers to stop the bullets. And it's like, that doesn't stop bullets. That's like, no. <laughs> unless the layer Please is like shirt. steel or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is a Kevlar. That's how this works. Like three. Yes. Flights. Um, Okay, so on July 31st, 1969, three letters who are supposedly prepared by the murderer are received by the Vallejo Times-Herald, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the San Francisco Examiner. They're identical letters. Uh, A psychiatrist examines them and says they're written by someone you would be expecting to be brooding and isolated. So an early uh, profiler Mm. 
The cla- every killer is brooding and isolated. <laughs> <laughs> Very few are char- like uh, right party boy. I always fun he, time. <laughs> I always knew he was a he kept to himself. He was a weird guy. Yes, didn't like his mom. <laughs> Each later is also accompanied with um a piece of a cryptogram. It is a 408 symbol cryptogram that has been broken up into three chunks and each, each person gets one of the chunks. Um, so I have the first letter. Let's see if I can read this handwriting. Nice. (laughs) Very scribbled. The first letter reads, dear editor, this is the murderer of the teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July near the golf course in Vallejo to prove I killed them. I shall state some facts, which uh, only the police know Christmas murders brand name of the ammo is super X 10 shots were fired. The boy was on his back with his feet in the air. The girl was on her uh, right side feet to the West 4th of July girl was wearing pattern slacks. The boy was also shot in the knee uh, brand name of the ammo is something I cannot read. Here is part of a cipher. The other parts of this cipher are being mailed to the, um, to the offices of the Vallejo Times and the San Francisco Examiner. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. In this cipher is my identity. If you do not print this cipher by the afternoon of Friday, the 1st of August, 69, I will go on a kill kill rampage Friday night. There's a lot of (laughs) misspellings in this. I will cruise around all weekend killing lone people in the night. Then I will kill again and I will kill up until I killed 12 people on the weekend. I think that's what it says. Uh, And this is where he has his symbol, which is a circle with a cross. Is that a crosshair? Yeah. Basically, Uh, is that what it's called? Okay, so he has the symbol there. He has not referred to himself as Zodiac yet. Uh, So yeah, these newspapers get this letter. The Chronicle publishes its third of the cryptogram on page four of the next day's edition. They also publish an article which quotes the Vallejo police chief saying, we're not satisfied that the letter was written by the murderer. They request that he sends a second letter with more facts to prove his identity. Um, All the threatened murders that he said would happen if they didn't do this don't happen. And all three parts of the cryptogram are eventually published. On August 7th, I can just say, yeah, it it just never ceases to amaze me that these newspapers actually did publish this. Well, it's a lot of they had a lot of struggles with this uh, going on all the whole time. Like, should we publish this? Should we not publish this? If we don't publish this, is something bad going to happen? Like, it's kind of a unusual circumstance, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, what do you do there? Because like, there's there's open threats and like it i have my thoughts on like the zodiac being a, a, a humongous blowhard and i don't think that's like a a, a weird theory i mean that it's no not it's not well because um, we know what happens del- yeah right delusions of grandeur sort of thing but like you don't know that at that time like no, so this time it's if, the beginning right yeah, if you yeah. Don't run this and he goes and kills a bunch like th- that's on you as the editor of this paper right it that's it's i don't know what the call is if you're in that yeah can you even imagine the discourse on twitter if this was happening today (laughs) never never given to the killer right (laughs) we we should never make him famous (laughs) uh (laughs) on august 7th 1969 the examiner receives a letter with the salutation dear editor this is zodiac speaking this is the first time he uses that name for identification 
Uh, people obviously like this must be very meaningful to him because he chose it. Um, and this letter is basically a response to this request for more details um, about what happened at the sites of these murders. He details um, a lot of things about the murders. Uh, he describes it as his fun times in Vallejo. Um, and he asked the police if they were having a good time with his code. And he said that the police will crack his, if they crack the code, they will have me. Now, one of the things that had baffled police was how he had so accurately gunned down Betty Lou in the back while she was running away from him in the pitch black. He tells them how he did it in this letter. He says, in that episode, the police were wondering as to how I could shoot and hit my victims in the dark. They did not openly state this, but implied this by saying it was well lit night. I could see the silhouettes on the horizon. Bullshit. That area is surrounded by high hills and trees. What I did was tape a small pencil flashlight to the barrel of my gun. If you notice in the center beam of light, you aim it at a wall or ceiling, you will see a black or dark spot in the center of the circle. When you tape, when taped to a gun barrel, the bullet will strike exactly in the center of the black dot in the light. All I had to do was spray them as if it, as if it was a water hose. There was no need to use gun sights. He also whined about the fact that his letters and cryptograms had no front page coverage. Now, an author named Soren Korsgaard, um, he explains, because he refers to it as an episode, they speculate that this um, trick with the flashlight taped onto the gun is actually something he got from an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents called The Museum Piece. And in that uh, episode, someone does just that. They tape um, a flashlight to the gun to hunt a fox, I think. Um, the... Uh, dialogue also, I'm sorry, in this letter, he also states um, the most dangerous game. Uh, this is like a reference to um, a famous short story slash movie about a, a guy who basically a big game hunter who wants to now hunt humans. Right. I feel like a few serial killers like Robert Hansen, that guy. They also, love that story. They fucking love it. That and the collector. Oh, they love the collector. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I like that story too, but I've never killed anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's creepy and good story, but yeah, they always kind of gravitate to that. So yeah. on August 8th, 1969, Donald and Betty Hardin of Salinas, California, crack the code. That's one of my favorite little scenes in the movie. I love mm -hmm. it. They just, they get it. <laughs> so what does it say? It says, I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. I don't believe he ever did. No, <laughs> the best part of it, the best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise and all I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down or stop my collection of slaves for my afterlife. Then there's just a collection of letters. Wait, really? Yeah, it's like It's literally that. Like it's just like random letters. He gave up. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of speculation on how smart this guy is. Like for sure. Some people are like, is he a genius? I don't know. yeah, like I don't. What do you think, Eric? I don't think so. I honestly think whoever he is, I think that he was probably not very bright. Probably um, this is where the delusions of grandeur stuff comes from. He's a yeah. guy who probably 
was not very bright, probably had some chip on his shoulder his whole life over. You know, I can't stop thinking now, by the way, about the Twitter discourse if the Zodiac were <laughs> No, 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 because like there would absolutely be like people with like Zodiac photos with those stupid eye beams that were like, uh, like incel yeah. tendencies or some shit. But like, no, but like, I think he's a guy who um, was not very bright, probably had a, a unlucky lot in life one way or the other. And, and like, this was his, like, I'm getting back. This is, you know, I, I am striking fear into a whole city. Now yes, the yeah. people who shit on me fear me. You know what I mean? It's that oh, sort totally. of mentality and, that drew yeah, this and, and the cryptogram is a way to sort of telegraph, I'm a genius. Mm-hmm. But there's many books that instruct you exactly how to do a cryptogram. Like right. it's, it wasn't hard information to get. Even we could do it, Debbie. Seriously. <laughs> um, we just don't want to. No. Um, the other funny thing in this case, you'll always see is like someone was talking about how there's so many misspellings in these notes. And they're like, he actually did that on purpose. It's like, or he could be a dumb shit. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. Not everything is for for what forty is it? chess. Forty chess. chess. Like <laughs> it's like maybe he just doesn't know how to spell simple words. Like you know what I mean? It's like always trying to figure out how it actually fits your narrative. I think he could be maybe smart in some ways. Yes, and also have like Eric said, have this. Hu- I definitely believe he has a huge chip on his shoulder about something or an, or another thing or many things because. To me, that explains all of this, like him being so extra. Yes, absolutely. And Des, you touched on something too. You said, um, you said something about like tunnel vision, your your own your own narrative, and that is one of the things that I have found. Graysmith is Graysmith. If I mean, you've been through these down down these rabbit holes. Graysmith is not a very well like person in the God. This is such a weird thing to say. Zodiac community. Yes, yeah. like, <laughs> but like that's a real thing. Um, He's not very like, but one thing is talked about the caddy thing earlier, you know, uh, every one of these, like going through like different suspects and the people that have posited these suspects and stuff, like they are all influenced by their, this is who it is. I'm turning blinders on to the possibility that it's anybody else. And they turn things into their own narrative with, with Mm. this case. And it is like something that I have noticed with every single one. There's almost always a point where they like, they redacted something from information that they put out to point to the suspect that they have because they are so focused on this person. So that's like, yeah, it's a very common thing. One of my favorite things on a, on a message board with Zodiac, but other, other things as well is where someone lays out their theory and then one comment breaks it all apart. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh it's 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 uh there well yeah well there's i don't want to get ahead of things i have a really good one with one okay other... good oh good 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 yeah, okay yeah. next week guys next week yes okay so obviously people are starting to speculate more about what's going on because now the letters have tied things together right we know these cases are related somehow um people are like he's sexually inadequate another classic accusation against killers right like uh he has quoted the marquis de sade like i guess the marquis de sade wrote something about slaves in the afterlife this kind of fantasy so he's obviously touched on that so like like rachel said i think he isn't very educated but he has a few obsessions Mm. that he's very well versed in right like maybe weaponry maybe sexual sadism books or whatever like he is an expert i think in a few things um so two of the cryptograms obviously still remain unsolved but people consider this 
uh, next phase to be the ramping up. Like he's starting to get comfortable. He's, he's escalating. He's escalating, as they say, on criminal minds. Um, and some of this kind of stuff will play out in this next killing. Okay. So on September 27th, 1969, students Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard, they're picnicking at Lake Berryessa. Now, I actually looked up this location and they must have filmed it at the location. They did. Didn't because they? I got fucking chills when I saw the because they're on this weird little peninsula on the lake. It's a man-made lake that has these little peninsula type things that are small. Yeah. And it, it was like the one with the two trees. And that was it. Well, didn't <laughs> didn't we didn't we talk about on Sound Tracker that they Im- David Fincher like digitally yeah. imported those trees or actually imported trees. Yeah, they they airlifted trees. They spent money to airlift tree because it's Fincher is uh, like complete lunatic for detail. Right and for the scene in trees for this scene. Yes, to make yeah. it look like Lake Berryessa looked when they were when this killing took place. It was crazy um, yes. uh, to see those trees though. Um, so, um, they're picnicking at this lake, and it's like. What happened is really just what happened in the movie. Like they see a guy. It's nothing that weird. Initially, he's kind of behind the tree, but like it's a place people go on the weekend. Right. There's people around, even though they're in a more isolated spot. Um, They describe him as, you know, a white guy, 5'11", weighs more than 170. Uh, At some point they turn around and he has now put on a black executioner type hood. He has clip on sunglasses over the eye holes and he has like a bib type thing on his chest that has a white three by three inch circle with the cross, his symbol. He approaches them with a gun and much like in the movie, you know, Hartnell initially is like, should I do something? He's a, he's a law student. So he starts talking to him about the law because the guy claims that he has escaped from jail in Montana uh, he killed a guard and he stole a car and he basically needs their car and money to travel to Mexico because the stolen vehicle is hot. Right. Um, so the couple think it's just a robbery. And if they go along with his demands that they'll be OK, the killer, the first sign, maybe it's not just that is the killer has pre-cut lengths of plastic clothesline with him. He has um, Cecilia tie up Brian and then he goes to tie up uh her and he notices that Brian's um, ties are not that tight. She didn't do a tight job. So he tightens them more. Um, he puts them down on the ground and that's when he takes a knife, knife out and stabs them both repeatedly. Hartnell is um, stabbed six times and Cecilia Shepard uh, is stabbed 10 times. Now they speculate the reason she got stabbed more was that she was fighting and Brian was playing dead more. Mm. So she kind of like, he went after her more because of that. Uh, he then hiked about 500 yards from the location and found their car. He drew his cross circle symbol on the car door with a black felt tip pin. And he wrote beneath it, Vallejo 12, 2068, 7469, September 27th, 69 at 630 by knife. At 740, he calls the Napa County Sheriff's Office by a from a payphone to report this crime. He states to the operator that he wished to report a murder, no, a double murder, before saying that he had committed the crime. Now, a KVON radio reporter named Pat Stanley actually hears this over whatever, the police, what is it called? 
radio. <laughs> and he goes to the location. The dispatch. The dispatch. He goes to the phone, the pay phone, and it's still off the hook. <gasps> he like just missed him. A few minutes later at a Napa car wash, uh, it, which is only a few blocks from the sheriff's office, um, but far from the crime scene, they find a still wet palm print from the telephone, but are never able to match it to a suspect. Now, the victims are heard screaming by a man and his son who are fishing like on that lake in a cove. So they get park rangers immediately. Um, Shepard is conscious when the the ambulance arrives. She's able to provide a detailed description of the attacker, including that he had an accent, like a Southern drawl type thing. Um, they are both taken to the local hospital and she lapses into a coma during this um, transport and never gain, regains consciousness and dies two days later. Brian Hartnell survives, but obviously has severe survivor's guilt thinking about he should have taken the gun, uh, all of that kind of stuff. and. You know, he was worried he would have made things worse. It's like that decision none of us want to like have to ever make. Right, right. right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, he really came close to dying. Like if the ambulance was delayed at all, he could have also died because he's seriously um, bleeding out. Um, so, yeah, that, we talked about this in Sound Tracker. This scene is just horrific, horrific for all of us. And it's not just in this because like leading up to Zodiac, and even like over the years, I'd seen things about the Zodiac Killer. And like before the movie came out on Discovery or somebody did like a coinciding like they or played an old documentary on the Zodiac. And like both in the movie and in like the real life case, the Barry Essa murder is the one that fucks me up the most. And the reason is you the you all everybody has this sort of instilled, you know, it's for when you're a child. This is a whole of when you're a child that like monsters come out at dark. But when it's daytime, you're OK. You know mm, what I mean? Yeah. Like, yes. And so like. This the thought I remember, like it really messed me up watching like the first thing I saw up with the Zodiac killings, and I got to this part because it's it is especially when they talk about um the the execution. Like imagine sitting in broad daylight; it's like a beautiful sunny day, and somebody's like kind of there, but you're still like it's daytime; nothing's gonna happen. And right. all of a sudden, this guy is coming at you in, a, in an executioner's mask. Like that <laughs> is like the scariest thing I could. And honestly, that that scares the shit out of me. Like, that no, that terrifying. image is scary it's, of him it, standing there with that on, especially when he seems sort of like whatever yeah. the scene before, and then right. he's yeah. closer. I mean, it's such a well filmed scene, like a mm -hmm. perfectly filmed, uh, tense scene. Um, so obviously, this is a huge escalation. A gun gunshot is like obviously a little more detached of a killing uh stabbing is like you're it's very personal you're close well and like eric said this being in the daytime now the entire bay area is like well when like this guy could it's not like we can oh just, yeah just go home at night yeah, no he's and and his and this thing about the zodiac is he's all over the place yes his mo's are all different he's you know right now it's all uh couples but they're all over different towns, uh, different methods. Even even the guns are different. Right. Every single gun is different. Um, okay. So two weeks later, on October 11th, 1969, a white man is described entering a cab driven by Paul Stein at Union Square in San Francisco. He wants to be driven to Presidio Heights. When they arrive, he shoots Stein once in the head with a nine millimeter handgun. He takes the driver's wallet and car keys and tears away a section of his blood-stained shirt tail. 
Now, this case has witnesses. Three teenagers are across the street when this incident happens. They phone the police while the crime is in progress. They observe him wiping the cab down before walking away. The teens describe the suspect as a white man, but when it goes out over the wires, he is described as a black man. Now, and then the things I read, they're like, and we still don't know why this happened. I was oh, like, I have a few ideas. <laughs> come on. <laughs> I can think of one idea that's probably correct. <laughs> like, what could have happened? How did that happen? Like, we're talking, we're talking 1969. I mean, that's something that could happen feasibly in 2023. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Totally. Easily. So the patrol officers, Don Fook and Eric Elms, they likely drove right past the killer without stopping because they weren't looking for that guy, right? Mm-hmm. Based on the dispatch, a search ensues. No suspect is found. The, tre- the I mean, it's a miracle that all these police departments were even communicating with each other. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. And newspapers. Yeah. Uh, the three teen witnesses work with the police artists to prepare a composite sketch. And it's it's the famous Zodiac picture that we all know. The, right. the the nerdy guy with the Ted glasses. Cruz's dad. <laughs> no, it, you know what's funny? I know we'll talk about that at some point, but it's not his dad. They think Ted Cruz is the Zodiac. His dad killed JFK. Oh, <laughs> right. Because right. I was like, he's not old enough. Right. Like, whatever. He's a scumbag, but <laughs> but he's not old enough to be the Zodiac. Yeah. yeah so whatever. Uh, <laughs> there's lots of other reasons to hate him. So, yeah. Um. This is when Bill Armstrong and Dave Toskey come in. Uh, They are assigned to this case, which at this point is just a robbery gone wrong. No one thinks it's connected to the Zodiac. It's completely different than all the murder. The cab murder is completely different than the other ones. Now it's probably something I'm sure that that's happened before a cab driver gets robbed. Um, So luckily for Dave, he's kind of a celebrity cop. He likes publicity even before this this case happens. It turns out to be the biggest case in the area. So he randomly gets put on it for this robbery. And now he's like, whoa, uh, he he becomes the main guy on this case. Um, he's also the um, he bullet the movie with Steve McQueen. He based that character off of Dave Toskey. Yeah. As well as Dirty Harry. Obviously, we know this is played by Mark Ruffalo in the movie Zodiac. We love we love him. <laughs> so <laughs> he's a great guy. On October 14th, 1969, the Chronicle receives another letter from the Zodiac. This time it contains a swatch of Paul Stein's shirt tail as proof that he was the killer. Um, by this point, the killer is exclusively communicating with the Chronicle and, and Paul Avery in particular. Um a lot of people speculate it's because the Chronicle had the biggest readership. So yeah. he was just like, let me just focus in on the big guns. It's the San Francisco Bay Area. <laughs> yeah. Paper. So it says, this is the Zodiac speaking. I am the murderer of the taxi driver over by Washington Street and Maple Street last night. To prove this, here is a bloodstained piece of his shirt. I am the same man who did it in the people in the North Bay Area. The SF police could have caught me last night if they had searched the park properly instead of holding road races with their motorcycles, seeing who could make the most noise. The car drivers should have just parked their cars and sat there quietly waiting for me to come out of cover. School children make nice targets. I think I shall wipe out a school bus some morning, just shoot out the front tire and then pick off the kitties as they come bouncing out. Now it is kind of funny when he pokes one at the cops. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. He I, will, constantly... I will give him credit for that. <laughs> uh, 
I, I and again, okay, I have a and I know that I know that uh Paul Stein is like the last confirmed murder by the Zodiac, yes. but there's like this small part of me that still feels like even that one is one that the Zodiac I know that there's like I know that it's not. But there's right, like yeah. one of those things where I'm like, this doesn't even feel like like this feels like one of the ones where he is just like taking credit for something that he did not do. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, and th- like we said before, how his mo is all over the place. This is really out of left field. It's really out of left field. I guess the the it's the only one that has hard evidence connection though, right? right. Which is wild. It's wild. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, obviously now we're we're having some terroristic threats, right? Yes. Uh, this is the first time. I guess he did. He said he would kill on Friday, so he has done it before. But this is like school bus kids. People are going to lose their shit over this one, and they do. Uh, bus drivers are instructed not to stop if they hear gunfire or a tire is blown out. Oh my god! But I mean, people are not necessarily even putting their kids on the buses. They're keeping them home or they're walking them to school themselves. And he keeps this up for a while, sending letters saying he has created a death machine to blow up a school bus. He goes into detail of how he has made it and what exactly what it's going to do. And the Chronicle is now getting all these letters exclusively, as I mentioned uh, above. And they're, this is where they really start to struggle about when they should publish things and when they should not, because this has created a huge public uh, freak out. Right. Right. So now it's kind of like, is this worth publishing or is the damage it does to people's psyches? uh, You know, it's like you want to warn people, but at the same time, is it scaring them unnecessarily? Uh, So they decide not to publish. They stop publishing these kind of threatening letters. Um, But the city is really under his thumb at this point. Like this is the height of like the fear in the city about what he might do because children have been threatened. Um, and this might explain the wild thing that happens next. And one of our favorite parts of the movie, the live TV phone call with famous lawyer, William Belli. So like <laughs> I actually watched this, the real video today. Really? Yeah. I, I watched like a Walter Conkright report where he plays the video because they're talking about the case on the yeah. news or whatever. Uh, it's very funny because when we see it, who's playing him? Brian Cox. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, so at 2 p.m. on October 20th, 1969, San Francisco redi- residents gather around their TV sets because the Zodiac Killer is about to make his television debut. Like this is announced. Everyone knows it's coming. He has demanded to speak to either F. Lee Bailey or Melvin Belli on AM San Francisco, a talk show on KGO TV that is hosted by Jim Dunbar. Now, F. Lee Bailey was not available because, you know, that bitch would have done it in two seconds. <laughs> he was he was kicking himself um but belli is there and he does appear on the show with just a few hours notice uh and they basically go on the show and wait for the killer to call in now jim dunbar is like i guess other people start calling in and he's like don't call in we're like saving the lines for this guy to call in what please keep show. the lines open finally someone claimed claiming to be the zodiac calls in and like we we saw this on the in the movie, it's just so fucking hilariously stupid. Right. Um, Belli is like, what can I call you? Like, I don't want to. I And they pick the name Sam. The guy picks the name Sam. So they call him Sam. They're doing that thing where it's really condescending mm. that they're trying to show interest and care in the guy. Right. To keep him on the phone. Uh, the caller talks about having headaches that he, he claims that he wants help. 
Um, I don't know if this is in the movie, but I tried to transcribe this the best I could from the show because it made me laugh. Belli goes on this like little ramble where he's like, why did you want to talk to me or F. Lee Bailey? Is it because we're so compassionate and you've seen us help people like you before? <laughs> or is it because you've seen our integrity and know when we say something, we mean it? <laughs> Follow through. It's like an advertisement. <laughs> point, Jim Dunbar is like, can we just let, let's hear what he has to say about why he called you. <laughs> I was like, you're leading the witness, sir. <laughs> but it was better. fucking hilarious to watch because I was like, this guy, defense attorneys like that level, they're just all full of hot air. Like right? celebrity defense attorneys. Yeah. Right. Like they're just love hearing themselves. They speak. love the spotlight. <laughs> yes. So you know, a question yeah. I've always had. Do you know this? The so somebody called and said they wanted to speak to Bailey or Belli, and then someone else called in who turned out to as you're gonna get to here, but yeah. was it was was the person who called originally, do they think that it was the same person who called the show or do they think it was the actual Zodiac? Well, I'll get into a little bit of that because okay, it's kind of unclear. It's kind of unclear. Sure about. Okay. So the caller eventually says that he's not going to reveal his identity because he's afraid of being sent to the gas chamber, which was the capital punishment uh, style that California did then. Uh, he ends the call at some point. I think he says, I want to kill those kids. Like It's like a frantic thing. And then he hangs up. Belli then arranges a rendezvous with him later outside a thrift shop in the Mission District. Um, they wait around for almost an hour, but no one shows up. He continues getting phone calls and letters begging for help. And they uh, he even gets a piece of the shirt. Right? Sent to his house. Sent to his house. And they're eventually able to trace one of these calls Armstrong and Toski go to this location thinking they're about to arrest the Zodiac killer. They arrive and it's a mental institution. The person who has been calling is a patient in this facility. Now they find out the calls were made by a, na- a man named Eric Weil. He's described as an amateur photographer and hippie. <laughs> I don't know why he's there. Well, they- <laughs> it's 1969. And everyone county and and it's the Bay Area and everyone's terrified of hippies. So they have to put that little nugget in there. Yes. Um, so they they find out that he's the person who called the show. He's not a suspect. He is not the Zodiac. He's basically eliminated. But like Eric mentioned, no one really knows what happened. Like, did he do the whole thing, set up the call and then call in or did the Zodiac set up the call and he just happened to call in and get on? Um, did the Zodiac uh, piggyback onto this and I, then start thinking? And you know what I mean? Like, I think he piggybacked on and that's why he sent the piece of the shirt to him. Yes. So this guy is such an attention whore, right. the Zodiac, that it is very possible because he, he does this again right. with other crimes. We'll see like coming up. Uh, I think he does piggyback in much like um, people copied Zodiac. <laughs> He also copied other people or tried to take credit for their crimes, I think. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Now, another speculation here that I thought was really interesting is at the time, there is another killer that is dominating headlines, and that is Charles Manson and his family. Um, The day before uh, one of the Zodiac's big letters comes out, uh, Charles Manson was put on the cover of Life magazine like a national magazine, his face is everywhere in America. Uh, and, and people are like, was he feeling forgotten? The Zodiac? Because he sends, a. that's when he sends the letter to Belli the next day uh, with the shirt 
the um, Paul Stein shirt in it after the Manson cover comes out. I totally believe he was feeling overshadowed. And this will happen. I'm going to talk about other instances where something happens Manson related and a letter comes the next day, which is really wild because I kept looking it up and I was like, this letter came out this day. And I was like, I would just search Manson. July 26, 1969. And there would be like, that's when uh, he was on the cover of this Rolling Stone magazine. So it like lined up like a few times more. I mean, that's not my, I just looked up things. Uh, Someone, someone else thought of it. (laughs) I'm not that smart. (laughs) And see, that's, that's why I asked that question though, because you know, as we've as we've very clearly said, the Zodiac was a, was a messy who loved drama, you know? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes. But like, the the bell eye thing you know either way that shook out whether or not it was the mental patient who called and set the whole thing up or whether or not he just stepped in and stole the thunder from the zodiac whoever the zodiac killer was was probably furious that mm. that had happened to him you know what i mean oh, yeah this person came in and stole my attention and uh yeah the idea that because that, there's some other manson stuff too that we'll, i'm sure we'll talk about when we get to the conspiracy episode but yeah like, no um, it's 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 quite clear this guy is like constantly uh fucking spitting like rumpelstiltskin when he gets busted like he's constantly <laughs> spinning right in anger well he's fine taking credit for other crimes that he didn't mm-hmm. commit but god forbid someone take credit for one of his crimes yeah, yeah yep. totally so because what you know at this point he's really sort of um a terrorist he's not really as far as we know killing anyone anymore um but he is continuing to send these threatening letters he's often taking credit for murders that would be proven later to be unrelated um in fact he said in a letter that he was disguising his murders now to look like average robberies to keep people on their toes right which <laughs> Which sounds like he's just trying to get credit for things like, hey, you might have thought that was a robbery, but it's actually me. (laughs) Um, Interestingly enough, like I mentioned, some of these things start to emulate things Manson did and often come shortly after some incident or info that comes out about Manson. And it really becomes almost a competition. In a letter postmarked on June 26, 1970, he states that he's upset that he did not see people wearing Zodiac buttons. He wrote, I shot a man sitting in a park with a 38. um, He's probably referring to the murder of this 25-year-old Sergeant Richard Reitatek, who was killed one week earlier. Um, He was writing a parking ticket and got shot uh, while he was doing that. He died 15 hour later, hours later. Um, the police department were like, he was not involved. He did not do that. The murder was still unsolved. Like I mentioned earlier, this was the day after a big profile of Manson came out in Rolling Stone. On July 24th, 1970, uh, he takes credit for the Kathleen Johns abduction that happened four months earlier. That's the same day the Tate LaBianca murder trial started. So he sends that on the same day the trial starts. Now, this this uh, kidnapping attempt we see in the movie, it's a harrowing scene. Mm-hmm. Um, this happened on the night of March 22nd, 1970. A woman named Kathleen Johns is driving from San Bernardino to Petaluma. She's seven months pregnant and has her 10-month-old daughter beside her while she's heading on high west on highway 132 in Modesto. A car begins honking its horn at her, flashing its headlight. She pulls over um, and stops. Obviously, the man in the car is like, hey, uh, your your right rear rear wheel is wobbling. That's hard to say. And offers (laughs) to tighten her lug nuts. 
he finishes the work uh, and drives off. When she drives off, obviously he had loosened the lug nuts because her tire fucking falls off. He, of course, returns and offers to drive her to a gas station. She, as we kind of discussed, inexplicably gets in the car with him, even though it's like, what are you going to do, I guess? But uh, so during this, I heard an interview with her, too. Really? Yeah. She has like a few interviews talking about this. She kind of changes her story a few times. But I mean, obviously, it still sucks what happened. It's a traumatic experience. (laughs) Um, So during the ride, obviously, he keeps driving past gas stations it's that that kind of scene in a movie where you're like "Uh oh like they're not fucking stopping this i didn't realize this they're in the car for almost two hours together what yes isn't that wild i didn't know it was that long yeah she's in the car for almost two hours with him uh so terrifying (laughs) that's really scary what do you do at that point when you're you you're this person's mercy for two hours and like you're stuck in a car. Yeah, that is that is. And like, he's not, according to her, he's not talking when she's like, hey, why aren't you stopping? He kind of changes the subject, which is even more scary. I think. Yeah. Um, and obviously in the movie, we see this. It happened in real life, though. This line does come up not in the first interview, but the second one. But it's a very scary line where at some point he basically tells her he's going to kill her and throw the baby out the window. Right. And that's where all of our hearts like fucking go to our stomachs we're dying um and she says that he also says to him at some point do you always help people like this and he's like when i'm through with them they don't need help is that in the movie i couldn't remember you know Uh, what i forget if that line that was really scary too though that line i was like ooh. um so obviously uh she's fucking scared she finally has an opportunity when he gets off the freeway because at that point she's too afraid to to jump out he stops at an intersection I don't think it happens that way in the movie. She's like on the freeway, right? Yeah, she's on the yeah. high on the side of the road. Yeah. So he finally stops. She jumps out with her daughter, hides in the field, and he searches for her with a flashlight, telling her he's not going to hurt her. He eventually gives up and drives off. And she's finally helped by some good Samaritans. Um, when she gives her statement to the police officers who show up, she notices the police composite sketch of Paul Stein's killer and says that looks like the man who abducted her and her child. So that is supposedly the Zodiac, right? Yeah. Uh, but that, that composite, come on. It looks like a lot of guys. Yeah. Michael <laughs> falling down. It looks like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that composite is really the prototype for the leprechaun. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. A little more detail, little but not more much. Detail, but yeah, not by much. <laughs> So he sends a letter to the Chronicle. This is the Zodiac speaking. I'm rather unhappy because you people will still not wear your nice Zodiac buttons. Did he like put them out for everyone? (laughs) He's got merch. He's got merch. He's got merch. He's got more merch than we do. Yeah. So, (laughs) so I now have to list starting with the woman and her baby that I gave a rather interesting ride to a couple of, um, hours one evening a few months back that ended in me burning her car where I found them. And then it's just signed off with the uh, symbol. So it's like, once again, he's hearing these stories and now acting like it was him. Cause this was in the newspaper, right? Uh, yeah. And also uh, even the information about burning the car, like that's not really uh, something that wouldn't have been able to be found out. It wasn't super like, you know, they keep some information separate, course, but that's not like something really unusual. A lot of people really believe she did have an encounter with the Zodiac that night and miraculously escaped, including her. 
But I mean, people tend to want to think they had that connection. Well, right? I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure when there's this area wide panic, I mean, yeah, like I can see how your mind would would go to that. Totally. Well, um, honestly, this one, this is one of those ones that I don't actually question. I, I, I've, I've always just kind of taken this one as actually having been him as strange yeah. as that is because like i said he's like one step away from like taking credit for every like gi that died in vietnam you know like i did yeah. this was this was actually me that did this but like he he this one feels like something he would have done he liked that power dynamic of like mm, i've got you yes and 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 again too dumb to make it actually work out because she got away you know what i mean like right uh, right because he kind of relies on people being either shocked to see him or in the case of the lake murders uh, tied up, restrained, restrained, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Now, in July twenty, July twenty sixth, nineteen seventy, he sends a letter, perhaps the sickest of all. He paraphrases from a song from the Mikado. Now, Rachel and I, <laughs> we don't trust men who love Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, we have talked about this. Desi and I have talked about this on a show before, and I, I, I have a theory that. The only musical straight men like is 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 Gilbert and Sullivan <laughs> is what's the what's it called? The one with the the one on the ship. HF Puffin the, stuff. The H, HR, <laughs> they only like HR Puffin stuff they, because they because they think it's no offense. We we love straight men. We we some of our best friends are straight men. Absolutely. But we think that we think that they're it, I won't say all straight men. I'll say there's a certain type of straight man who thinks he's above above musical theater because he likes Gilbert and Sullivan. He's like, that's yeah. the thinking man's musical yeah, theater. Those lyrics are complex. <laughs> you have something in common with the Zodiac killer. Guys. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, I, so I guess there's a... that I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of that. Uh, oh, good. Ally. Oh, Look at this ally. This is about doing true a ally behavior. Thank you. <laughs> well, apparently the song is called I've Got a Little List. And he I did read it, but I'm not going to read it because it's Gilbert and Sullivan related. But it's like him listing off the type of people he wants to make his afterlife slaves. Um, he also gets really he's still mad about these buttons like most of the letters at this time are about people not wearing his buttons this is unbelievable <laughs> uh it's like why are people gonna wear your buttons yeah no one's gonna wear a killer's buttons i'm sorry <laughs> like um where do you even where do you buy these buttons and i'd be sus of anyone selling them because it's like where'd you get them i would believe <laughs> i would believe nowadays it would be nowadays i believe there would be a market for it Oh, like the people who buy Gacy paintings and stuff like, (laughs) yeah, I feel like nowadays, like that's a more modern thing. I feel like at that time you, it would be, you'd be more hard pressed. Right. Because people weren't ready to admit they were obsessed with murder or like darker things at that time. Right. And I'm look, (laughs) none of us were alive at that time, but we're just going on vibes. We're just guesstimating (laughs) the vibes. Yeah. Um, so he writes this really graphic thing, letter about what he's going to do to his slave, his afterlife slaves. It includes things like putting them near ant hills so they get eaten by ants and just like all this kind of gruesome edgelordy torture right. stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's 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 really struggling to get attention now because yeah. I think he's panicking. Yeah. 
Uh, his next letter comes on October 27th, 1970. And this is to the Chronicle reporter, Paul Avery. He is their crime reporter. He's played by Robert Downey Jr. in the movie. And he's basically the guy covering this case because uh, it's a big crime. He gets a Halloween card signed with the letter Z. It has the Zodiac's cross circle symbol. It is a dancing skeleton that's wearing like a pumpkin diaper. <laughs> Like the legs are sticking out the diaper. Yeah. But it's sinister looking. I mean, kind of, yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, I'm sure it would be cute if it wasn't signed by the Zodiac. If it was from your Aunt Fanny. Yeah, you'd be like, that's that's sweet. Look at that adult diaper wearing skeleton. Um, handwritten inside the card is a note that says, Peekaboo, you are doomed. Now, this threat is taken very seriously. Um it's he's now in the story, Paul Avery, right? This is a, its own news story. Um, a fellow journalist makes up campaign style buttons that say, I'm not Paul Avery for the staff to wear. Uh, so they, they, the Zodiac knows not to kill them. I <laughs> not guess. To kill me. <laughs> That's crazy to me. That's yeah. crazy to me because now it's like Paul Avery must've been like, you guys are throwing me under the bus. We should have worn one of the buttons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He could wear one. Yeah. Nothing's yeah, stopping him. Why aren't they doing the Spartacus route where they all have buttons that say, I am Paul Avery, you bitch? That is a good friend. Yeah. To wear the Paul I am Paul Avery. You're yeah. absolutely right. Um, we should take a break. Let's I completely a, forgot to take a break. Let's take a quick break here. We'll be right back. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Okay, Desi, continue. Uh, So after receiving this letter, he gets an anonymous letter alerting him to some similarities between the Zodiac's activities and the unsolved murder of a of a young woman named Sherry Jo Bates. Now this occurred four years earlier at a city college in Riverside. What happened here? And was this the first Zodiac murder? Now we see this in the movie. He goes, uh, Paul Avery goes to Riverside. There's only one reason he goes to Riverside. (laughs) You have to. Wow. (laughs) I don't feel that way. You love River. Didn't you go there? What? I thought you told me you went there and you got like a Wendy sandwich or something. No, <laughs> I, I went, yes, I went to court. I went to a court date. <laughs> See, I went to a court date in Riverside <laughs> at seven in the morning. And I had, that's where I had Del Taco for the first time. This okay. was a very long time ago. Yes. This was before I got sober. Yes, But I remember <laughs> it wasn't even my court date. It was my friend's court date. 
And I don't know. I was so high out of my mind. I agreed to ride with him to his court date and we get there and there's a Del Taco and we're eating that back when they had the macho tacos, it was like an extra large taco. Mm. We're both sitting there and we're eating it. And he goes, Oh my God, this is like a practical joke right now. This is literally a practical joke that I'm eating this taco before my court date. <laughs> it must have been really big. It was huge. <clears throat> okay, I want to make so- clear to any Riverside listeners that I live in Ohio and have no opinions on Riverside. So like if you are listening to this from Riverside, yeah. I'm okay. And don't be mad at me. for yeah, Don't email Eric. <laughs> Look, I think even people in Riverside, they're like, yeah, you don't come here. <laughs> <laughs> if you live here, it's one thing. You know it's what? Like a tourist spot. I, I'm just saying, I've only been there one time. Okay. <laughs> On October 30th, 1966, an 18 year old student at Riverside City College, her name is Sherry Joe Bates. She spends the evening at the campus library. It closes at 9 p.m. So she's there at a closing. It is suspected that someone disabled her car because the wires on her Volkswagen distributor cap had been pulled out. And then they showed up like the Ted Bundy style to offer her a ride, like right. the Good Samaritan showing up. Uh, she neighbors report hearing a scream around 1030 p.m. And she is found dead the next morning, a short distance from the library between some abandoned houses on campus. She has been stabbed to death. A man's Timex watch with a broken wristband is found nearby and it stopped at 1224. So people make a lot of that. I always like that the watch stops right when the crime happened. <laughs> I have a question about that. You see this trope a lot. Is that like they always, yeah, they always say like, oh, this is the time of, we can tell the time of death. How does that work? I have no idea because she wasn't wearing the watch. Did it get broken during the attack? But I thought Timex has never stopped ticking. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> what about that? Um, People don't really believe, a lot of people don't believe it, but obviously it's something people make some hay of. A month later, on November 29th, 1966, typewritten letters that are identical are sent to several uh, Riverside local um, press, including the Riverside Press Enterprise. These letters are titled with The Confession. The author claims responsibility for the murder. He provides details of the crime that are supposedly unknown to the public. He warns that Bates was not the first and she will not be the last. In December of 1966, a poem is discovered carved into the bottom side of a desk at the college. The library, it's titled Sick of Living, Unwilling to Die. Um, <laughs> Dude, dramatic. Very dramatic. <laughs> Off teen wrote that. It we sounds, don't know. <laughs> it sounds like an away message. Totally. <laughs> Some people think that the language of the poem and the handwriting resemble that of the Zodiac letters. Uh, it's signed with the initials RH. During the 1970 investigation, um, a a guy who's like a document expert or handwriting expert, he expresses that he also thinks the poem was written by the Zodiac. On April 30th, 1970, exactly six months after her murder, the father of uh, Sherry um, and the- Wait, is that 1970? 1967. Okay. This happened before the Zodiac murders. Um, But the 1970 thing was when they found out and her person investigating okay. after the Zodiac said okay. that he also thought it was um, whatever. So the father, the press enterprise and the Riverside police all receive identical letters. It is handwritten scrawl. 
Um, it reads, Bates had to die. There will be more with a small scribble at the bottom that resembles the letter Z. Joseph Bates, the dad's copy read, she had to die. There will be more. And it also had the Z signature. Now, Avery reports his findings. So he goes down to Riverside and investigates this case. Uh, he reports his findings in a Chronicle article on November, November 16th, 1970. On March 13th, 1971, five months after the article linking the Zodiac to the Riverside murder, the Zodiac mails a letter to the Los Angeles Times. In this letter, he credited the police instead of Avery for discovering his um, his work in Riverside, as he refers to it. He says, this is the Zodiac speaking. Like I always said, I'm crack proof. If the blue meanies are ever going to catch me, they better get off their fat asses and do something. The longer they fart around, the more slaves I will collect for my afterlife. I do have to give them credit for stumbling across my Riverside activity, but they are only finding the easy ones. There are a hell of a lot more down there. Sounds like an angry email we got once. Yeah. To our podcast <laughs> account. <laughs> we'll call you the blue meanies or. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe fat asses. <laughs> maybe they were like, no, it just, I'm just saying the tone of it reminds me. The tone of the it tone is of very. It. It's like, you guys are. It's like that kind of like psychotic letter you get from someone who religiously listens to your show, but they also actively hate you. Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So he says he wrote to the Times because they don't bury him on, on the back page like some some newspapers. do. <laughs> this guy is such a little bitch. He also signs it off. Zodiac 17, um, San Francisco Police Department zero Zodiac 17 plus. I like the set, the plus, it's right? Like, be specific, dude. Um, <laughs> so the connection between this murder uh, in Riverside and the Zodiac is very uh, uncertain. Like this is not a slam dunk. Um, Paul, Riv Paul Avery uh, actually eventually thinks it is not committed by Zodiac at all. He kind of, you know, doesn't believe it at all. In August, 2021, the Riverside police department homicide cold case unit announced that they found the author of the written letters. <gasps> this guy turned himself in anonymously. He contacted investigators in 2016. He identified he was identified via DNA analysis in 2020. He admitted the correspondences were a distasteful hoax. He apologized and he said he was a troubled teenager who wrote the letters um, seeking attention. So that wow. further confirms that it was not the Zodiac. Uh, so it was a it was a little edgelord teen. Yeah, the the uh, <laughs> sick of living, unwilling to die makes way more sense now. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So, but they never found her killer. They never found her killer. But this letter writing was the primary thing that they thought made it Zodiac. Yeah, and it was com it was completely proven not to be the case. Right. So the final Zodiac letter, uh, he remained silent for almost three years. Now in the movie. We'll get into the next episode, but they make a big deal about this because it relates to um, Arthur Lee Allen's prison sentence, right? Right. He's like, he's in jail for three years during this period. And it's one of their more compelling pieces of evidence, I think. Um, so no, nothing for three years. And then the Chronicle receives a letter from the Zodiac postmarked January 29th, 1974. It says... I saw and think The Exorcist was the best satirical comedy that I have ever seen. Ooh, edgy. <laughs> Why? That's so stupid to me. Ugh. Signed yours truly. He then quotes um, the Mikado again. He plunged himself into the billowy waves and an echo arose from the suicide grave. 
Tit Willow, Tit Willow, Tit Willow. He did tit not Willow. say Tit yes, Willow. He did. Tit Willow. P.S. If I do not see this note in your paper, I will do something nasty, which you know I'm capable of doing. Me, 37, San Francisco Police Department, zero. <laughs> He's flailing at this point. He's I mean, really he, flailing. He's flailing. You, It's like, no, we don't actually know you're capable. It's like, <laughs> we're not trying to encourage you, but it's been a while, dude. Like, you've been threatening us now for more time than you were killing, right? Like, yeah. it's been a long time. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm glad he stopped. So, investigators are obviously stumped. Uh, Zodiac disappears, but the obsession continues, in particular with Toski and Graysmith. They're obsessed with the case. Um, they only have circumstantial evidence regarding their number one spec- suspect, Arthur Lee Allen, who we will get into next week, as well as all the other suspects like Ted Cruz and cons- <laughs> <laughs> Ted Cruz. We got to touch on it. Yeah, we got to. And oh, yeah. conspiracy theories. We don't care how stupid or wild they are. We're going to discuss them all next week. So that's that's it. That's the case. That's part one. That's part one. You guys and ready? My- you know, my thing too is that as far as the Zodiac goes, you know, I thought about this in the lead up to doing this is that, and hopefully I don't start getting like breathy phone calls after I say no. this, but like, um, really at the end of the day, the Zodiac was, I don't know. He's like a, one of the most pathetic, like specimens of like, you know, like you look at his, his, and this is weird to put out like stats, like he's a baseball player, but like, look at numbers and everything. At the end of the day, the Zodiac was a very mild and minor killer in the grand pantheon of like American serial killers. So like the idea that again, there's like a whole Zodiac community is one of those things that you like, what, what exactly, what is the mystique here? I mean, I, you can understand the people that were alive in San Francisco in the Bay area at the time of the killings, but like the enduring thing is he was, and this is what we've talked about this whole time an attention-seeking showman, which is, I think, yes. part of the appeal is what has, it, it, it worked, all of his bullshit worked, because if if he had not sent one letter, he would have been somebody who disappeared and was a footnote. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely, and those crimes would have just about. been unsolved murders, like yes. random murders that, that happens a lot all mm-hmm. over yeah. the country, right? right? No, he has endured throughout the decades, and he's a global... Of globe, I mean, I I assume people around the globe are interested in him. Certainly in this country, in America, mm-hmm. I think an interesting thing, like thinking back, because I obviously read a lot of true crime growing up, um, and I think I knew about the Zodiac loosely before I ever really looked into it. And I was, I remember being kind of shocked that it wasn't more. Yeah, because when you hear about it, you're like, think he's sending these cryptograms all the time. And like, there's all of this kind of mystery, but it's a lot of it's just stupid letters that yeah. he sent, like <laughs> threatening letters that do really sound like a teenager kind of having a temper tantrum often. Well, and mm-hmm. that sort of also goes to the fact that something you you learn a lot or hopefully you learn when you if you are interested in true crime is that a lot of these most of these serial killers they're not these mad geniuses and no. that's not the reason that they're not caught. You yes. know, like someone like Richard Ramirez, he wasn't even caught by the police. He was caught by the, the community in, in Los Angeles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> so, you know, it's like, 
It's a lot of things. Well, and, and we've done enough cases now where we know a lot of times they get away with it because of different jurisdictions Police or incompetence. In, incompetence. Like yeah. that's, that's all you need really. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm really looking forward to hearing you guys tell me all about some of the most outlandish theories out there and some of the more grounded in reality theories. I think we'll start with the grounded ones. Okay. And then we'll have fun. <laughs> yeah. Because I think one thing for me that I can kind of enjoy the speculation is I don't really have a hardcore belief on who did it. So I can be kind of open to everything that comes my way. I mean, obviously, certain things are stupid as hell. But like, do you know what I mean? I'm kind of like, okay, maybe. Right. I don't know. Like, that could work. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, obviously, most people lean towards the Arthur Lee Allen, including the movie. Except for Reddit. No, Reddit will <laughs> never pick that guy. And Reddit, like Eric mentioned up top, the 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 Zodiac community does not like uh Graysmith. No. No, if you say you think it's Arthur Lee uh Allen, you will be downvoted to fucking well, hell. Oh. Neither does that guy that runs <laughs> that Zodiac killer site. He has a whole thing about what a piece of shit Graysmith is. Like there's a whole Whoa. section of that website dedicated to how much he hates Robert Graysmith. Damn. Oh. Do you know what I think? Like, I think in the true crime arena. A lot of times these guys get big with a book and they're kind of know-it-alls. Mm-hmm. And I think the community, for lack of a better word, hate those guys. They want to be the know-it-alls. They want to be the know-it-alls. I recently saw something with James Elroy and everyone's like, oh, yeah, he's a huge piece of shit. I'm like, really? I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> like he was like said something to some. I can't remember oh, what I saw he that did. on Twitter. Yeah, it was like a recent story. And it was like, oh, yeah, James Elroy is a huge piece of shit. I was like, I did not know that was common knowledge. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not even saying it's true. I just don't know. Like it was just shocking to me. I was like, oh damn, like right, it right. wasn't anything like uh problematic or sexual assault or anything, just a bad a, a mean guy, like that kind of stuff, I think. Wow. I could yeah. see that of Elroy though. It's not surprising. I could see him being prickly, if nothing else. Well, mm. he's had a hard life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. We For did sure. we did an episode on his story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh okay. so Anyway, Eric, where can people find you? Okay, so uh, I have a show called Soundtracker that uh, both, and prior to the Zodiac episode, I've had both Desi and Rachel on before doing um, Pretty in Pink for Desi and the guest with Rachel. And, uh, you know, at this point, like I said, you're you're friends of the podcast, but it is a... Um, it is a show that every week takes a movie with an original motion picture soundtrack. It's one half movie discussion, one half music discussion, where I take... Uh, me and a guest or guests talk about the movie first soundtrack second. And I sort of place it in like uh, a historical context based on when I historical. I mean, like the, the, I do like top tens of what was out that week or what was out on the music charts that week to kind of place like an exact time. Cause a lot of times I go through those top tens, you get kind of like, Oh yeah, spice girls. I know exactly what yeah. was going on that summer. <laughs> um, but, you know, and it, it touches on all kinds of things. I don't just do, you know, it's easy to do something like that and do like The Crow. But I like something like this where Zodiac, great movie, um, not necessarily a soundtrack movie, but it had a soundtrack and music's like a very important part of that. But there mm. are just uh, so many to cover. So it's not just like I'm doing The Crow and Judgment Night every other week. Uh, it you, is. You've yeah. had some really interesting choices lately <laughs> that have really like I've been like 
that's a great idea because they're under discussed soundtracks. Yes. Like the dude yeah. wears my car episode <laughs> because that, that soundtrack surprisingly has some bangers on yeah. it. Yeah. Right. That's, and I was, that is one of those ones that I talked about with Vince at the end um, that like, I knew I was aware that there was music in it and was like 100% aware there was a soundtrack without ever like considering that, yes, there is a soundtrack for this, you know? So like going into that, like, <clears throat> you know, it's it's completely new, a new experience for me. It was like a Batman Forever. I, you know, I had that thing on wore it out on CD. Like something yeah. like Dude, where's my car? I, I didn't, but I knew that there was music in it. And I remember like this some of the musical cues in the movie. So going and listening to them as a whole, yeah, there's there's it's a there's just such a huge world as far as that goes. Yeah. You know, uh Eric has some really great guests on, really uh diverse collection of soundtracks and movies that are discussed. Mm -hmm. It's a great show. Thank you. Friend of the pod, Eric Peacock. <laughs> We're so happy to do this crossover. This is like, yeah, yeah. this is great. Um, it's bigger. Remember the um, meme? Like the, the Marvel ambitious crossover <laughs> event of the year. Yeah, it is ambitious because what more ambitious case to tackle than the Zodiac? Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. I'm I, sweating. I was sweating for <laughs> Debbie. Like, damn. She's got to do all well, this. The thing with this case is, you know, there's someone who there's like 800 people who know more than you. Yes. Right. And our people are like, look, they, people know this case pretty well, too. So you're always like trying to find some new fact for them, at least, or an entertaining spin on it. It's stressful to do a popular case, I think. Yeah. But uh, that's my fault. That's my fault. I no, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not your fault. People have asked for it. People, they want it. Listeners have okay, asked okay. us to do this case a lot. <laughs> and this was the kick in the ass that both Desi and I needed. Well, and this one also has the element of being difficult because there's so much information. Uh, there's a and lot of cases true, like that. Not. We're like, we can't, we can't do that case. Cause there's too many theories and conspiracies <laughs> and too many books and like everything, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I'm really glad we got to this case. Really looking forward to next week. We will see all of you in a few days for our mini episode. And we will have all of Eric and Soundtrackers information in our show notes. So please subscribe, give him a five-star review and subscribe to his Patreon. Yeah. And it. our show will be dropping same day, same day. Yeah. So, so go so, check out our Soundtracker episode on Zodiac if as you well. Want. We break down the movie, we break down the soundtrack and we had a blast. And, and as I said, the cool thing is that makes these work together too, is that like, there's not really a lot of crossover information since the movie itself is more about like, obsession of the people yeah. around Zodiac, mm. yeah. Zodiac killing. So it's not like you're or how things are filmed and the music, how the music works with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh and we talk about Mark Ruffalo's ass. <laughs> so go for that. Go yeah. for just, go just for that. It's a good ass. It's a great ass. <laughs> you got a great ass. <laughs> all right, Eric. Thank you very much. And we will see you all next week for part two. Bye. 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 Thank you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.